What's up, everybody? Welcome back to S Keith and Mike. Watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I forgot the title of our show. That was a good uh, start. I mean, I feel like I pulled out. I pulled up. You know, mm -hmm. I was going to go into the flight deck, but I was able to, to uh, abort the landing. Uh, we are today talking about the Muse, one of the uh, one of the most spoken about, the the iconic oh, uh, episode of Deep talked? Space. It is often talked about. Uh, I'm not going to talk about which category it mm -hmm. is often talked about, um, but it is uh, it is very much a uh, you know it's 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 on the the hard end of one of the scales. Uh -huh. So hard, but for sure. I, Jake Jake hard for 43 minutes of this thing. I mean, for sure, for sure. But I'm not going to get into that until we've discussed because I don't want to. I don't want to like uh, interfere with Mike's brain hole on mm -hmm. this. We are recording this today on Valentine's Day. Mike, how are you celebrating Valentine's Day? Myself and CEO Jen are going to go see when Harry met Sally at the, on the big screen. Uh, she's making a nice little lunch for us, and nice. uh, I'm watching Star Trek with you, bud. Yeah, you are. I'm excited and to do so, actually. Uh, this was, it's always, I, I had a kind of a, you know, it's been crazy week, really busy, and I know you had a crazy week as well. Uh, so it's always nice when you can kind of get through all the stress and sit down and pop on. Uh, I, I posted the watch along, you know, you know, you can watch the show with me guys every week at yes. uh, patreon.com slash KNDM. Uh, usually we do Monday nights or Tuesday nights. It was scheduling was up in the air this week, so it was last minute. I posted with mere th thirty minutes warning, Keith, and was still able to pull a couple of patrons to come on and watch with me. So uh, thank you to everyone who joined me and all of you who joined me after the fact on the recorded version, which you can get in on Patreon.com/KNDM. Uh, spoiler alert: lots of more watch along stuff going to be happening on the Patreon. So uh, think about it. Yes, indeed. Well, I will be celebrating Valentine's Day as a lonely single geek, as usual. But I thought it was appropriate because, uh, uh, you know, as as people follow the show, like, you know, I've recently, recently you know, uh, used to be married, no longer married. However, uh, one of my Christmas gifts this year was this T-shirt, this which I feel I'm very proud of. Hey! There it is, folks. That is the... Uh, that is how I'm celebrating Valentine's Day by, uh, you know, by not pissing off your exes. That's great. That's nice. What a nice, nice gift from whomever. Gave I know. You that. I know. I'm very. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. So you hear that, ladies? I like you know, a sense of I, humor that's tongue in cheek, uh, because the relationship no longer involves tongues in cheeks. Gross. Well, <laughs> just remember, ladies. I could be your friendly ex someday. Listen, Keith is a writer, and Keith may need somebody to massage his head to get those good ideas flowing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's definitely possible. All right, so uh, <laughs> let Keith us... looking for a big four-headed woman to stroke his creative <laughs> muscle. I mean, you can't have two big foreheads in one marriage. That's too <laughs> that's, much. That's a ten head, and it's off that, the that's, charts. That's a, that's a ten head, and you, you're reflecting the sun back. You're gonna, you know, we're gonna. <laughs> Gonna mess up our climate oh, even this further. Is terrible. Oh, I'm so sorry, folks. But look, if you're already if you're this far into the show, yeah. you know what you're getting. So, uh, what did we get last week? Yeah, 
in Shattered Mirror, let me give you your viewer ratings out of 100 self-sealing stem bolts, as we all know. Joshua Cronin gave it an 82. Jason Moe with a 73. Harry Pothead with a 65. Kevin Miles, yay, with an 88. And the Mysterious Anne with a at 65 again. Uh, I think we were sort of uh, in the middle of all of that. Mm -hmm. If you would like me to uh, read your rating or review, just drop it down here in the YouTube comments. You can also, uh, uh, if you care to have your, your, your review read, you can leave us a super thanks on the thingy below and we will happily read your comment. We'll say pretty much anything. So, uh, it's true. There it is. Yeah, just put put it in there. I'll, mm -hmm. We'll read it. Doesn't even have to be about the episode. People call and do your voice outgoing voicemail on your cell phone if you want. It's yeah, great. I, it's I a great even, secretary. Uh, yeah, voice. I mean, I haven't even recorded my own. Mm. <laughs> it just says the numbers. Just the default. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But uh, yeah, of course, I'll read your voicemail. I mean, so if you want to confuse your friends about an utter nobody. Oh, man, we should start doing cameo just so like the one cameo we do and someone can write back like, who? <laughs> Nobody would cameo us. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's $50 uh, for a cameo. Wait, you, 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 people have to pay you $50? No, 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 we, no, we, we pay you. you. <laughs> we pay you $50. Yeah, you're, you're with me. Yeah. Great. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the muse now that we're so artistically inspired which aired on April 29th, 1996, only one day before my mother's birthday. Happy birthday, my favorite mom of yours. I, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, well, you know, if you uh, if you missed it on the Out of Practice podcast, my mother and Mike have had a torrid love affair. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you want to hear that whole story of their love, you should listen. She famously listen. listens to this podcast. She does not. Ooh. Yeah, she does I, not. I, I, I well, all right. So our top song continued to be "Because You Loved Me," Celine Dion's. Thanks for that. Uh, sorry, Anne. While you're, you know, and sorry doing that uh, Celine's back in the in the in the in the popular culture for being frail. I hate that. I hate that people are pitting her against the greatness of Taylor Swift. But they, for all we know, they're gal pals. Let's let's stop let's stop making beef where there's no beef. We have real beef to worry about, folks. Yeah, that, that, fair enough, fair enough. So uh, our top movie, are you ready for this one? Oh, yeah. The, the Quest. Hmm. Do you remember Stumped The me. Quest? Stumped me, 1996. 1996. I'm 16 years old. Mm-hmm. I don't have my license just yet. I just got my first girlfriend. Ooh. Did not go see the quest. I was mm. on a different quest. You're on a quest, <laughs> and uh, Mike, let me let me ask: Did the quest succeed? Uh, Keith, failure at the box office. Failure at the box office. <laughs> Disappointing returns at the box office. Yeah. Uh, but not for the quest, which starred Jean Claude Van Damme and Roger Moore. Which I believe Van Damme actually even directed. The Someone quest. was trying to uh, capture the same magic as The Last Crusade with different with a, with a different cast. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. Well, it wasn't your Last Crusade. It was just the one where your face didn't melt. All right. So, Mike, while you were on your own personal quest that you were unsuccessful mm -hmm. about, what were you watching on television, Keith? 
ABC was airing a special called Put to the Test, which I don't know much about. Uh, I wish I did. They can't really gather much from just special Put to the Test. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a... You just put us through the test of listening to David that. David E. Kelly was getting a, a 9.4 rating with uh, the episode The Parent Rap on Chicago Hope, mm. uh, which was Love a great Chicago CBS Hope. lineup. We had The Nanny All New, Dave's World All New, Murphy Brown All New, Sybil All New, followed by The 10 O'Clock Hour with Chicago Hope. Very nice. Manny Patinkin. Yeah. That was so good. Uh, and then mo- most importantly and most interestingly, we had an NBC special that I just loved when these would air, and it was an all-star TV bloopers. Uh, they oh, were just like fun. They would dedicate an hour to just showing bloopers from old TV shows, which I always enjoyed. Uh, and, of course, we had Star Trek's Voyager, which Keith will tell us more about momentarily. Uh, indeed. Uh, so, yes, this episode of Voyager was The Thaw, in which Michael McKeon plays a scary clown. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting episode. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, I hate this. Mm-hmm. I want to jab my eyes out. This is horrible. But then as an adult, I, w- I rewatching, I'm like, oh, there's some psychological stuff going on here that's kind of interesting. And uh, Michael McKeon does a really good job. So there you go. We will get to it when Keith and Mike watch Star Trek Voyager in about three years. Which and then- was such a joke when Keith started saying it. And I was like, oh, you know, but now it's become much, much less... Like, you know, we're going to do it. Yeah, I have a joke. It's clearly heading right for us. So Yeah, well, but but this is where we can... Wow, you had that all ready to go. Uh, but we will do... Uh, when we do Voyager, we're going to have segments with my brother who worked on the show. So that's going to be cool. more interesting. Yeah, cool. The weekly world news headline. There's no issue on the Google Archive. I don't know if... Oh, no, that's last that, week. Okay. No, that's there, there isn't one. Yep. So I don't know if that's because they didn't release an issue, which I doubt because they were perfectly happy to just re-release one from three weeks ago and pretending it was the same issue. So I'm assuming <coughs> Google Archive just never got it. So, so yeah, the is, extent of we'll our, re- the, our, our research and our work is have one website that we look for this stuff bookmarked mm-hmm. And if it's not there, it game we just over. don't do it. Yet. It, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty much exactly right. Well, you want to know what does exist? The director of The Muse, who is David Livingston, who last directed on Sons of Moog. This episode was written by Rene Echevarria, with a story by Rene Echevarria and Majel Barrett. And this is her only writing credit ever. I would have been flabbergasted if there was a single writer on this episode uh yes yes well this is uh feels distinctly like two episodes smushed together yeah yeah it's and and i from i think we're going to get into it in the in the next segment but i believe that the a and b story got flopped at some point and uh that was one of my questions too is what is the a story in this episode yeah Agreed. Well, let's discuss it in everybody's favorite segment. Now, Keith, waste your time. With what? With Trivial Trivia. You know how in life, as we get older, we hope to gain a little bit of self-awareness. We hope. Right? And we're like, to, to be able to look back on our work objectively and uh, and be able to say like, hey, you know what? This was great, and maybe this wasn't so great. Mm-hmm. 
Well, in 2012, looking back, director David Livingston stated that the muse, that he wished the muse had never been produced, remarking it was not good. <laughs> and thanks for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Near the end, Onaya names Tarbold as one of the many authors she had inspired. Tarbold was the fictional poet whose Nightingale Woman was recited by, recited by Gary Mitchell in the second Star Trek pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before, in 1965. Nice little inside. That it, It's weird for, for a show that is so reviled. They have a lot of cool little Easter eggs and stuff that they're tying in here. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to mention it, but Jake's story... Yeah. Is Jake's story from The Visitor. Anselm. That's right. Had they not done that, this is a three, right? But like yeah. that Easter egg alone makes it in, important to the canon in a way. Right. In a in a, in a a weird way. That's right. Because it answers one of the wormholes. Well, we'll get there. So yeah, early right. on the show. We're, we're still in trivial trivia, yeah. buddy. We can't we're talk about wormholes yet. So uh, Michael and Sarah, who plays Jayal, played the iconic Klingon character Kang. In Day of the Dove, back in the original series, but of course, Blood Oath, uh, here in uh, in on 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 Deep Space Nine. Mm. You know, Remember that when, brings uh, me up. When... Keith, there was a question I'm supposed to ask you. Okay. It was brought on by one of our patrons. I think uh -oh. it's referring to this. Oh boy. Um. You should ask Keith about when Burial was the sexy ghost man on Next Gen with Doctor Crusher. This is not the time to segue into that, but just putting that on oh. the table then. So. Uh, yes, not not Burial, um, uh, uh, Shakar. Mm. Yes, Shakar, you, you, the the other bland white guy that uh, that Kira is banging for reasons. Oh yes, no. Uh, you know what? That would be a great uh, patron watch along mm -hmm. if we do Sub Rosa, which okay, of course yeah. is is where you know Crusher bangs a candle ghost. I famously never said no to a sexy ghost of any sort. So, I mean, I haven't given an opportunity to to say yes, but I feel like, as mentioned before, it's Valentine's Day, and I'm a single man hey, and when lonely it comes to here sexy in my basement. Ghosts, I'm all consent. I mean, if there's a candle somewhere, I mean, there, there are candles down. I have not had any sexy ghosts appear in my subterranean room in Rahway, New Jersey, but you know, one can dream. <sighs> Anyway, that is the title of a book that someone should write. <laughs> There's a slash yeah, have, fanfic in of progress like Keith currently. And a candle. Yeah. <laughs> that is the saddest slash fic ever. Anyway, the story that Jake is working on, when we see the text that he's working on his pad, is actually The Commodore by C.S. Forrester an author of navigational stories that were loved by Gene Roddenberry. Huh. And uh, Jake, was also, Jake was also puttering on it in The Visitor. So every time they need text for Jake, they pull it from the Commodore. Interesting. This episode was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Costume Design for a Series. I do love Renee's wedding garb. I, th I think it's very, those blues are very beautiful. Yeah, well... Uh, and uh, and forehead ladies outfit was great too. So uh, it is interesting how often the costume design and makeup design gets nominated for Emmys on the worst episodes. I thought she very much was giving serving me to 
steal from RuPaul, who I was just watching a ton of, she was serving me uh, Sigourney Weaver in Ghostbusters. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Once yeah. she's sort of glammed out. RuPaul would have done this role very well. Oh, my God. Please. Right? Please. It would have been great. Uh, he's tall in person. Yeah. Unbelievably tall. Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, so John Paul Lona, one of the alien individuals who board Deep Space. Oh, this is great. This is this is our worlds coming together, Mike. Are you oh, ready? Yeah, give it to me. All right. John Paul Lona didn't give it the weight it deserves. One of the alien individuals who board Deep Space Nine in the beginning won a walk on role by designing the winning makeup for the alien in a competition run by Playmates Toys. Wow, Lona nice. named the character Runeep and the species the Rizazians. Nice, well said. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, if I planned ahead, which of course I didn't, I would have grabbed one of the original uh, Deep Space Nine figures that they came in, they came in with a little card to say, descend in your uh, makeup design and you can get a walk on in Deep Space Nine and they paid it off. Here it is in this episode. That's cool. That's awesome. Super cool. Side note, especially crossing streams, we mm -hmm. often do these custom episodes on our Star Trek uh, toy show, which we're gonna spread out a little bit more nowadays, I think, just to kind of keep it fresh. But in the future, what I would love to see, because I think a um, Odo, marriage two set would be a great custom little set oh i'm sure josh cronin's already made it well i'd like to see the picture josh. Uh, you know what i'm expecting it in my facebook message before the t minus <laughs> like by, 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 by end of day today yeah. i'm expecting it in my uh facebook yeah fun uh but yeah absolutely that's a great that's a great all the all the wedding figures we need them so the original idea for this episode came from majel barrett of course, who pitched the uh, an idea to Ira Stephen Bear that Loaxana Troy becomes pregnant and claims that the baby is Odo's. Mm. This led Rene Echevarria to write an episode with four primary storylines, all focusing on couples, the first of which I'm going to leave out for spoilers, but the other ones are Cisco and Cassidy Yates, O'Brien and Keiko, and of course Odo and Loaxana. However, nobody was happy with the concept. According to Bear, the script meeting for a standard episode usually lasts two days, three if there are problems. The script meeting for The Muse lasted six days, wow. the longest script meeting in the entire seven-year run of Deep Space Nine. However, even with all of that sorted out, the producers were unhappy. According to Ronald Moore, the notion of this exotic, beautiful, older woman who comes to you and gets excited by watching you write is the most ridiculous idea. Only a writer would come up with that. Think of it. You're sitting there writing and she's just entranced. We watched that scene in dailies and thought, are we insane? What are we doing? How did we get here? <laughs> wow, that's like almost verbatim my my thoughts as I'm watching a lot of this episode. And me, as a writer, I'm like, yeah, of course. What, who wouldn't be enraptured by watching my genius? Maybe one of the biggest laughs I've ever had. I have to. I'm going to tell it up front because it's so good. Is of course, legend, legendary patron Jason Tiberius Moe, 
who never misses a watch along. Even if he's like busy making dinner, he's always got us on in the background. And amazing. He was busy last night, and so he wasn't really participating in the chat. So it was just kind of me watching. But Jason was there. I knew I could feel him. And <laughs> they get to that scene at the end where she's like, "I've." I've head screwed the greatest Shakespeare, such and such. He's listing off things, and it just the one chat comes through in all caps. Varney, <laughs> <laughs> and I friggin' peed, man. <laughs> oh my god! I was like, touche, touche. That is hilarious. Yeah. Ugh. And 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 I think. Perfectly uh, teeing up the fact that I am going to be soft defending this episode as we go through. You'll be the only one who was soft, Keith. Uh, uh, yeah, well, fair enough. Fair enough. You uh, think I that's my, my last candle. direction joke? It's not. Uh, stay <laughs> no. tuned. Well, folks, uh, you want to find out who paid for that terrible joke? That is our patrons. Mike, introduce everybody and introduce our our new full-on sponsorship. Brian Kimball, Beer Sock, Casey Clark, Jason Moe, Peter Banky, Frank Rinch, Joshua Cronin, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious and mysterious household who were lovingly joined us last night. Worf Spido, Root Shivs, Charles Babbage, Harry Pothead, CRM Productions, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky. Once again, we send you our best well wishes. Mm. Get well soon, sir. Delusions at Noon, YouTube viewer James Hubbard, Chesley, Anguished, JD Makes, Colin Dayton, Chris Mitchell, CRM, Pat, Joshua Cronin, JD, Lutz Kremer, Wyatt Eldridge, and welcome to the team Quark's Bar, uh, which Keith does indeed uh, include a parenthesis because the bar belongs to Quark um, in the future. Uh, oh, thanks oh, to Quark's Bar, uh, our first Canadian sponsor. Thank you so much. Well, and. Well, not, not our only Canadian sponsor. Well, no, as far as, I mean, in part, this is a joke as the sponsor. Our, our, so. our corporate sponsor yeah. uh, at, at, at the highest level, which means, uh, and, we, and, and uh, Quark's Bar, as a corporate sponsor, you are entitled to mm -hmm. uh, to give us some copy yeah, to we'll read. read yeah, we'll have to read that for, copy. Uh, for, for Quark's Bar. We need to read an ad for Quark's Bar. So there you go. We, ha we already have the merch. Uh, wait, here's somewhere. Do I have it? Yes. So not only do I have the Quark's Bar mug that uh, CEO Jen gave us, I also have uh, have matches from Quark's Bar. Mike, you're not even looking at how cool this is. Oh, that is cool. Sorry. See? I do have you Quark's on both screens, so I can always see. <laughs> we know you're not looking at that. Anyway, uh, send you know us some Did you know in 1996, copy. Keith? Mm-hmm. Jay Leno visited Quark's Bar. And uh -huh. I just, if I had been smart enough to look at this beforehand, I would have pulled it up, and this would have been a great thing to do in our pre-show. Oh, I'm here at Quark's Bar! Uh, yeah, uh, but he actually goes on set with Armin Shimmerman, and I will, uh, I guess, just tell you all to Google it, because I'm not going to show it on YouTube. I'm medium funny, and all yeah. the other comics hate me! Yeah, nobody like. does anybody like Jay Leno? I oh. viscerally dislike Jay Leno, so. Well, well, there you go. Anyway, That's... there you go. Oh, but you had my flawlessly terrible impression, which I've never done before. So it's there you better go. than your. Uh, what's the one you tried to do? The other? <laughs> that was a bad one. Uh, better yeah, forgot. Well, better forgot. Look, you know, I, it, I have the, the ones that I do, I do fine. But uh, the other ones, they're pretty terrible. 
All right, so let's talk about our guest stars here on this episode, which, of course, are Majel Barrett as Lwaxana Troy, Michael and Sara back for the second time on Deep Space Nine as JL, and Meg Foster as Onoya. Now, Meg Foster, you might know from a great many uh, terrific sci-fi roles, Mm -hmm. including from He-Man. Do you remember... Her on she He-Man? was uh, Skeletor's like uh, brain liquor, right? Yeah, the eyes. Yeah, the eyes. You can definitely. And I also, utterly coincidentally, I turned on uh, the 1989 underwater deep sea ripoff of the Thing, mm-hmm. uh, Leviathan, mm-hmm. which she very. I was like, I had. I was watching Deep Space Nine. I turned on the other TV, and there she was again. Uh, a surprise. So legendary sci-fi. Also, a lot of. A lot of Star Trek people on uh, on this on the He-Man movie, of course, Frank Langella, who we saw on this show, but uh, we might see a certain Voyager cast member as a main character there. So we'll get there. All right, folks, you know what? It's time for it's time to hop into our screening. You know, Keith, before we get started today, I think it's only fair since I promised it earlier. Welcome back, folks! folks. Folks, we've got a great show tonight. I think you're really going to... It's just so annoying. What? Yeah, they can't find the TV remote. Great acting skills. They're doing a whole bit here. Yeah, Finding the remote. Sensors indicate it's coming from the 24th century. Oh, God. This is embarrassing. Where am I? You get to see it not all lit up, though, properly. You know what I mean? Wow, this is Deep Space Nine. Remember when your remote beeped? Should have known a big-eared Ferengi would have my remote control. I, I don't know what you're talking about. This is a Cardassian devastator. Do you know what some males would pay? And just Armin going for it, of course. I know what I pay. I give you. A, I'm making the bit work. <laughs> Somebody's got to. That's just Earth money. Worthless up here. I saw the entire if you want this table device, wobbled. You're going to have to provide a service in trade. Service. Service. Question is how far down this, this rabbit hole do I want to go? All right. <laughs> All right. It's only a minute and a half left here. You know, whispering famously not interesting to watch. Nobody else around. Ferengi promise. All right, I'll do it. All right. Ah. Oh, he's rubbing his lobes. Oh, jeez. That's enough. That's enough. Yep, that's yeah. Jay Leno humor. Yep. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, let's go ahead. It's got Leno to do. Oh, now, okay, so that was the bit. So I'm glad we went down that rabbit hole, because it reminds us of two things. <laughs> the entire bit was big ears. Was we love... Armin Shimmerman, good sport, famously. Thanks to Quark's Bar for sponsoring. They needed a new sponsorship, Keith, because famously uh, they dropped out of the Tonight Show with Leno because uh, he sucks. (laughs) Strong feelings. Strong feelings from Mike. Mm -hmm. 
uh, about Jay Leno. So uh, there you go. Wow, that was. Uh, I mean, it seems appropriate. We're doing the muse. Yeah, you're the, right. The muse really struck Jay Leno with a Q-tip joke. Mm-hmm. All right. So, in our teaser, we begin with a super cool flyby under the station. New camera motion for the series. I wonder. I, and I don't think so. I don't think yet whether they had uh, digitized the station mm-hmm. as opposed to the ships. Um, but it was a really cool camera move that we had not seen before. Uh, which, which especially if you're doing practically, it was super expensive to do another flyby on the station. Because uh, most of the moves that we see, we just recycled over and over and over again because they shot like 30 of them and like, we'll just mix them in. But that one was new. So uh, Jake is on the promenade watching people coming off of the, uh, the the ships looking for story ideas and as he watches them all of his pitches are actually pretty good me too i was like oh these are all good episodes man like i would definitely watch that oh wait go back one i think that blue guy is oh, the guy the who won he's the walk-on it's awesome yeah very cool definitely could have used that so uh one of them who uh might have been in the he-man movie spots Jake and makes eye contact. Later, Odo goes into his office to find a crying Loaxana Troy, and she's prego. He greets her like she's been there a while, but uh, this is a shock to him, seeing her prego. It was an interesting beat there, because he's sort of like, oh, hey, and not like, hey, we're, you know, you came from the other side of the galaxy, but shocked about the prego part. I don't know, maybe there was a, maybe there's another scene there we didn't know about. Uh, in Act 1, Troy explains that her husband is trying to take her baby. Apparently, she's married again. Uh, it, famously, Troy's been married many, many times. And her husband's culture separates the males and females at birth. And her baby being a boy means he'll be taken away. So she's run away to Odo. Um, interesting that Troy would choose to marry somebody from such a misogynistic culture when she is classically the character she's built is very much not that she's very in control she's very matriarchal yeah it just doesn't seem to make any sense with clear and then especially specifically now i can i kind of like the idea that she was so heartbroken with this like love that couldn't be with odo that she sought the comfort of another that's great but then to like get knocked up by uh pert she's just seems too smart for that so uh. well i mean yes i agree um she also we we know her to make rash rash decisions with men and throwing herself at inappropriate odo is not the first person that she has uh come on very strong with a a certain Mm jean-luc caught a lot of flack on uh, on the next generation so who knows Anyway, she's run away to Odo, and Lwaxana wants to stay on the station and be protected by Odo as a safe haven. Meanwhile, and of course, you know, this is continuing the story of her and Odo um, from season two, where they had a really nice, intimate couple of scenes. On the uh, elevator, right? While he was gooing. Uh, on the elevator. Actually, twice yeah. she's she's uh, been chasing Odo around the station. But that they do one have- of my favorites still. Yeah, and they and they really do have an, a very interesting and deep relationship, which is, I think, the part that makes this episode, you know, is is the good part of this episode. 
continuing that part of it. So meanwhile, the alien lady, who Jake made eye contact with, goes up to Jake in the cafe, who's writing. She introduces herself and drops that she knew a super-famous Cardassian architect. She says she has a weakness for artists, and that artists have a weakness for her as well. Uh, which, of course, is every writer's fantasy, that there's some hot lady who's like, Oh, you're a writer? Ooh! And that has not been my experience. Uh, anyway, we also... We get the sense that the Cardassian architect that she uh, knew died pretty young. But she says, isn't that what an artist wants? To be remembered? Isn't that why you write? And Jake says, I don't know. I think it's mostly because I like to tell stories. And Onoya says, there's no reason to hide your ambition, Jake. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I think that's what makes artists so compelling. Um, interesting conversation, I think. Um, you know, it's like, why, why do you write? And I think the truth is somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you like telling stories, but you also want to be remembered. You want to, like, plant a flag. You want to be relevant. But, and, you know, the other thing that's, I think, being said here that is, you know, it so often, especially in our current culture, if you're not, like, discovered as a superstar, right, if you're just what I like to call one of the working denizens, uh, you know, people think, oh, if you want to be in in musicals, let's say, but our experience, you got to be on Broadway. That's the thing, right? Or right. if you're going to be a TV actor, if you're not, if you don't have a series or a movie, you're not. It's there's there's a gulf, right? Truth is, ninety nine point nine nine percent of all the working professionals in these arts are, you know, working for the next paycheck. They're in the middle here, and right. so often I think people hide behind oh this is just a trivial pursuit you know it's like oh yeah i'd like to write or i'd like to sing or whatever but it's like a stupid little because they don't want to face the mountain of you well you you have further to fall when you don't succeed yeah and so i think yeah and 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 nobody so I, i like that jake even here even though they're establishing him as one of our main characters and he is clearly a writer in the future we know of or in an alternate potential future he still doesn't have that confidence and and i like that this malevolent clearly malevolent force is using that uh, as her in and i think it's cool. yeah it has a lot to say well and you also wonder how much of jake is saying i just like telling stories and how much of it is you know you you want that because it's it's i would imagine i think in order to be successful you have to have both Mm-hmm. Right, you have to you have to have that drive to succeed in a public way mm-hmm. in order to have success. Like nobody come, you know, as I talk about it in some of my shows, like nobody's going to come to your basement and like make you famous. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. It's the same reason, like you, like you can't become president without a towering ego. And, no, I mean the like, thing that makes would, you have to have that in order to want that job. The thing that kind of makes that not the focus of this story that, you know, like doesn't completely ring true on that is that Jake is famously not unsupported. You know what I mean? It's not like the rest of us where it's like nobody believed him. Jake's got all the support. His dad's behind him. Everybody's behind him, right? They So it, it's not like he's seeking that, right? Well, behind him, well, you know what? This is an interesting thing because like speaking from the standpoint of, you know, feeling that way, there's a big difference between I support you doing this. You have my back. Go get it. Good for you. 
and attention paid to the work specifically and 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 focus on the work as opposed to like good for you but i'm not actually going to like really dig in and yeah. read and talk about what but, your work because and i and i think for myself right i don't want you to tell me oh you're such a great whatever blah blah blah, blah. i want to talk about the work i want to dig into it i want to i want to like i want yeah, you to read it and let's discuss the things 100% but that's also not jace's experience i mean the last the tag of this episode is his dad giving him like a full-throated book report on his writing no, for sure, yeah. for sure, and it, but and and that's the that's the payoff. Like that's really that's the that's the good stuff. That's really what what I search for. Yeah, in You're life. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so she offers him to help bring his talents to the surface. Come to my quarters tonight. Come <clears> to <throat> my quarters. I'm gonna help you write a novel. Gonna suck the goo right out of your head. Gonna make you write cursive. <laughs> Where'd you get that calligraphy pen? All right. Editor's note. Uh, I don't know how old Jake is supposed to be here, but at least Sirik is 18 by now, making it only very creepy and not Humphrey Bogart, 43 years old in Casablanca. Ingrid Bergman, 26. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been worse. It has been All worse. All right. So in Act 2, the next morning, Jake doesn't want to go on vacation with his dad and Cassidy. So this because... is the leftover of the four romance stories? Is like... Right, right. Cisco Cass and Cassidy are going on a camping trip? Going, yeah. I mean, I've probably a hunting trip. With the jacket, um, yeah. Yeah, because they, they had to hunt the, the throw rug mm -hmm. that they turn that jacket into it's like a it's not a throw rug it's a uh it's like one a, 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 a doormat so uh ben is disappointed but he gets it and jake's an adult now and he gets to make his own decisions plus maybe maybe a little more uh, a little more you know stuff going on in the tent because jake's not there so yeah, that tent is gonna pitch well we'll see well there you know what i'm gonna have to I think Mike needs like uh, not a swear jar, but but a boner jar. So <laughs> a boner so bumper. Every, every time it's like, Bing! no, 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 because because we need to put this into the K and M coffers. We need a boner jar, and every time you make a boner jar, you have to put a dollar into the jar, and soon we can pay for our cat's college. Every time there's a boner, I'll scratch it. Great. Ow. Sorry, man. All right. Meanwhile, Luaxana is bumming out Worf, Dax, and Kira with the story of her broken marriage. Funny beat. <laughs> Worf's, funny beat. Worf's take here is funny. Oh, I mean, Dorn is a really good comedic actor. And, and I think Deep Space Nine does a really good job of taking advantage of that. So uh, they're all dressed up in their Camelot getup from the way of the warrior. But of course, they, she makes her all sad, and Quark is pissed because he's bringing, she's bringing everyone down, perhaps perhaps with more emotional empath pushing. Mm -hmm. um, who knows? But he tells Odo to cheer her up, or I'm going to bounce her. So Odo does cheer her up by asking her to go for a walk. And Worf wants to go along, but he's not allowed to be a third wheel. Can you imagine, like, I want to go on a walk? Like, 
what if we what if they took Worf? I want to write the alternate version where like Worf is there. Yeah, because then that scene where they get to his quarters and she like asks herself in would be real funny and awkward. I would like to come in. <laughs> <laughs> so on their walk, she mentions the death of her daughter Kestra from the next generation episode Dark Page. Uh, in which just trivial trivia from that episode. Kester was temporarily played by none other than a very young Kirsten Dunst. Oh, okay. So Odo understands why she would fight so hard not to give up another child, which she probably would have either way, but of course, having lost a child, uh, it adds to it. Naturally, they arrive at Odo's door, and she creates a pretense to get into his quarters, using his replicator to get tea. And it did make me wonder... Why does Odo have a replicator? He does not eat or drink. But I guess he has one for show. Uh, standard or issue, maybe? <clears throat> it's probably standard issue. Or if he has guests over. I mean, he doesn't really do that. But whatever, he's got one. She notices his shape-shifting sculptures right away. And she forwardly asks Odo, Are you over Akira? And he says, Well, she's banging Shakar. Which Troy clocks is not the answer to her question. But she says, don't, uh, don't do what I did or you're going to get, <laughs> you're going to end up pregnant and on the run. Good, good line. Yeah. <clears throat> the baby kicks and as Odo doesn't have any furniture, they sit down on the floor just as they did in the elevator. Odo feels the baby and is delighted. Waxana says, someone once said life is a search to find peace and that the, the, the peace you once had when you were safe inside your mother. Odo says, I didn't have a mother. Waxana says, don't worry, it's all right. You'll find your peace just the same. And Troy leans over and into Odo's lap and falls asleep. And he, instead of turning into a tent dollar, turns into a pillow and a blanket for her. It's very sweet that their relationship is, has always been sweet. And what they're able to do as great actors in these like little scenes that are not long, you know, yeah. and, and I really think you could make the argument that in other hands, a lot of these scenes, this one particularly would be trite, would feel trite, mm -hmm. but it's not. And it's and and like saccharine as it is at the end there and it's kind of on the nose as the whole plot and writing is, it works, it worked for me. I gotta say, it works. And there, I, there's there's some gravity built into this relationship because these are mature actors. Yeah. And and you know and and they just they've had life, they've lived, and and so they've they've have a lot more depth that they can bring to stuff. And, and I think it's, it's especially in TV. I feel like once you establish any sort of romantic chemistry, whether it be requited or unrequited. It's always there, and you can never get out from under it. And they're yeah. able here for this moment because she's so disarming in the beginning where she's like, don't worry, I'm not going to throw myself at you. I've moved past it. And and she's able to be a sounding board for him about some of his maternal issues and the Kira stuff that it's it they they're able to carve a space for this friendship underneath it that I think Odo ends up confusing and uh it's it's just wonderful. It's well, hard it's, to do. It's complex. It's yeah. complex, and and I really like telling a story, a a a love relationship, not love, who knows, but like a complex emotional 
relationship of two older characters. Mm-hmm. You, you you always see the will they won't they when they're twenty five, yeah. and it's nice to see them as you know adults. Well, it turns out Keith, don't know if you know this, just this just in, uh, mm-hmm. relationships turned out to be complicated. So the, what? the most interesting ones are the ones that aren't just will they won't they, because then yeah. when they will or won't, it becomes boring. Yeah. Well, there you go. So meanwhile, Jake takes his pad and knocks on the alien lady's door. And she has hung curtains and candles all over her quarters. Mm-hmm. She apparently packs very heavy. What is Jake deck. hung, Keith? Uh, I, I, that's not my business. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're still, they're still a teenager. Keep your pants on. What are you talking about? I, she hung up a lot of sheets. I was wondering what he hung. <sighs> tip jar, tip jar. Put 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 a dollar in the jar. I mean, she really went for it. I mean, that's not even her spot. She's renting that Airbnb. It's like a hotel room. Yeah. Look, she spent hours it's setting up all that stuff. Famously not into uh, open flame, but uh... Uh, yeah, on a space station. Yeah. But no, no open flame. All you want. She can tell that Jake is nervous. He's never been alone in a woman's quarters before. She says, don't worry about it. You're just here to work. Great beat there, actually, because I think it's so, they're so hitting you over the head with the, the like sexual subtext of what's going to or not going to happen here, especially, and it's, I know Jake's all grown up, but it's still not hard not to see him as just like a teenager. And it is a little like uh, the graduate vibe here. It, and, very much so, yeah. And I love that she is able to establish, and they establish that this is for me, right? You're gonna get what you're gonna get out of this, but it's not it's not that, right? That part's for me. <laughs> Your part is to just sit down and write. And Sirik doesn't is explicitly express a little disappointment, but it's not not there. <laughs> like there is yeah. like a, a sous of, oh, okay, I guess I'll write. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's the thing. It, well, and and that is the where you can see a writer a writer wrote this. It's like, oh, my genius is sexy enough. That's <laughs> yeah, true. I didn't think. Yeah. Just, just kind of the thing. Like, oh my god, this these this incredibly attractive lady is just going to be so turned on by my genius. I just need to write in her presence. See, oh, man, I'm the one who's going to defend it because that is, I think, the pejorative view, but. Here's the reality of it, I think. Look, I'm in the arts. I also want to want people to want my genius. But that said, there are things that I can't do. I've said this before. Dance is one of them. When you see someone dance at that level, at that at a high level, it's hard not to see it as an intangible magic. Oh, right? for sure. And if you told me that you were able to just like suck it in, right? Look, I've been attracted to people, talent crushes, right? You are no tr- totally yeah. attracted to this person. They're not. They're kind of psycho on the other side, but it's what they can do is intoxicating to me. So this is just sort of a sci-fi manifestation of that intoxication. And I think there's. It's not just a sort of writer fantasy, right? I think there is actual storytelling. No, no, for sure. It it is it is all of that. I mean, and I and I agree with you completely. Like I've had plenty of talent crushes and and it is mesmerizing to watch genius manifest. 
excuse me, like there's there's no question. And and when you have a chance to see it, like you do get enraptured now, by it's it. It's difficult to see it on the promenade of a space station, see the g- writing genius of a person. <laughs> well, but, but by she has powers. Yeah. She's some sort of like a, you know, sniffing yeah. dog for talent. Yeah. So uh, she should be an agent. So Jake has an idea for a novel, uh, semi-autobiographical about somebody whose mother died. Mm-hmm. And she gives him a famous space pen and encourages him to write on old school paper. And she uh, encourages him <clears throat> as he shows his impressive cursive handwriting. I wonder who who the hand double was for that, because I, I very much doubt that was Jake. Do you uh, think she makes cursive. him write it out with the magic pen and all? <laughs> I'm trying to save it with you, buddy. Be- to, <laughs> to prolong it? Probably. Because if he's just typing it or using what I imagine, I mean, we have Vision Pro where you can just like think it and the words show up or that. There's probably more efficient ways to do it quickly. Ah, but it's the sexy way. Yeah, you gotta do it slow, man. You don't. You gotta do the sting style. You gotta go do some tantric tantric writing. I'm like the wrestler. (laughs) You gotta dress up like the crow. (laughs) (laughs) Come out of the ceiling with a baseball bat. With a baseball bat, bat, yeah. No, no, I'm talking. He's like sting the musician. He's gotta do tantric writing. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Fair enough. So uh, she touches the back of his neck and all creepily in ASMR whispers. He starts writing frantically, and of course, she starts sucking brain goo energy out of his head and into her hands, and brings it down and out of frame. That was, I think, perhaps the most the the oddest uh, director decision that uh, because later it's like, it's not that, but this is like, whoop! Down, Isn't the most tropey of trope things though, like when something's too much, so your nose starts bleeding? That's, I feel like you. Oh, it's the trope. It's, it's the, the the easiest. Oh, his nose started bleeding. Well, but here's the thing. I have I have a theory about this part of this episode, and see if it tracks all the way through. This uh, this inspiration lady. Mm-hmm. I think she's a metaphor metaphor for cocaine. I mean. Because it's not. It's not a terrible. It's not a terrible hypothesis. Is the muse just about coke? Who knows? So in Act Three, later, Loaxana and Odo are playing hide the goo in his quarters. He appears out of one of the sculptures, and they're both having a blast. And Odo jumps around like a little kid, uh, including. But Renee is. Like Renee not. actually jumps off of that sculpture. And, like, I don't think it's a double. It was pretty impressive. Like, I'm worried for Renee's knees. I don't know. That doesn't look real to me. But Well, that might be. But he jumps down later. He does and jump down. Some, yeah, that, that, that shit. Yeah, that's the second one. Yeah, I think I think they composited it to make the, the sculpture look bigger. But that's still, that's a pretty good leap that he did did him himself. I think he's, he's they do, a, it's a great journey for him to, to, to show what he what's intoxicating to him about her right it's right. this uh, and, and that's like she said it's you'll find someone who makes you feel safe she's she carves out a space for safety for him of comfort and safety yeah, and 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 what's interesting what emerges when he feels safe is his youth yes he's like a Brandon, kid yeah he's like he, there's 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 a, a joyful youth to him when he feels safe 
which means that his gruff exterior means he's never really felt safe, mm. which I think is very interesting. And we see it when he gets a call from security. Uh, Lawaxana's husband has arrived. Uh, Odo's affect changes and his voice changes like a light switch when he gets the call. And I think that's it's great performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think it's an interesting character thing as well. So later, Lawaxana's husband arrives in Odo's office. He knows all about Odo and that Odo broke her heart. And he demands his child. Odo says, nope and points out that according to their laws, this species law, the male child is property of the mother's husband, not the child's father, necessarily. And he says, by the time Lwaxana gives birth, you will not be her husband. And we cut straight to Odo's quarters where he explains his plans. Odo wants to marry Lwaxana, which is which will nullify their previous marriage just for a couple of months it's not as if i was planning to marry someone else the only weird part is that his her husband wants to be there and witness the marriage because their marriage ceremony involves a profession of love that can be challenged if anyone doubts the the sincerity of the groom so Oda, Odo is going to have to convince her ex that he actually wants to marry her. So a couple of things there that are, I think, plot convenient, but also set up an interesting thing. I mean, obviously, uh, you can, there's no like divorce. There's no like settlements act up. All you have to do is like marry somebody else. And then the previous marriage is annulled by, by default. Um, yeah, but it's sort of like in- lazy plot convenience too, because for my grok of it, it's not that it's not that he has a right to be at the ceremony, in which he can uh, he can uh, object to the profession of love, but Odo oopsie uh, acquiesced and said he could be there, in which this takes place. I no, I actually took that as it was his right. Okay, I did as it was anybody's but- right. It makes to... much more sense if that's the case, but I don't think that was clearly done. It definitely played out like a oopsie. I said he said he wanted to be there, and I said that's okay because she had to do a whole explanation as to why that was a bad call. Yeah, although I think both of those things can be true at the same yeah, time. Very fair. Like like Odo didn't know that he had the right to it when he said yes, yeah. but I I think I think he did have the right. I and think that gives part us the of the ceremony to is to give people a chance to object. Which is famously, it actually gives a little credence to the weird way we do it too, or a lot of people do it in our society. Oh, like if anyone uh, is, to, it's all weird. It's weird, yeah. It's all weird. So meanwhile, Jake is still writing frantically while the lady sucks light out of Jake's brain, and he gets a nosebleed. And she says, "You should rest," but he wants to keep going, um, because he's on coke. But also, like I. I this is part of the episode. Yeah, but Coke would never be like take it take it easy, buddy. Your well, dad's gonna find out. That's true. <laughs> cool it, cool it. You Your don't want more never of like, me. Yeah, yeah, it's good, man. Well, I'll hit you up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and and that is, it's a wormhole that I have. Yeah, it makes in, no in sense in her behavior here. Why is she telling him to stop multiple times? Well, I understand his compulsion to keep going because. I understand intimately if if you're in the flow, 
you do not want to stop. You want to go, 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 go because you're feeling it. You've you've got it. You know, I, that when I'm when I'm writing, I can wake up in the morning, play two notes on the piano, and know whether I've got it or I don't. And if I don't, I walk away. But if I've got it, that has to be the priority. Yeah, from his perspective. From her perspective, I guess if we let's look at her as a vampire of sorts, right? And right. famously, you want to if if you're in a place where there's not just bleeders everywhere, right? Where you have a limited supply, you would want to keep them alive and not let them bleed out. Which I think is her motivation. Yeah. And there. also, if if he stays out too late and Ben comes looking, she could lose a meal. Yeah, so I mean, it, it seems like she's trying to string him on for a while, but by the end she switches, which probably is because she realizes that it's now or never. Mm-hmm. So might as well bleed him dry. I, 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 you know what? I think we fixed the wormhole. Which she ends up doing to all of her victims, right? And, and right, she knows right, that. So I think she, she knows she inevitably. Knows yeah. Yeah, she knows that inevitably he's going to die, but it's like, how many meals can I get out of this? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, Especially that, at we this point, because I imagine she's realized, oh, he is one of the greats. So let's, yeah. I can get a couple out of this, maybe. Let, let's see how long I can string this along. Because he's so young. Mm-hmm. So he's strong. He so. can go all night, you know what I mean? You can go all night. Yeah, exactly. Writing. So in Act 4, we arrive at the wedding. O'Brien, Kira, and Bashir are in attendance, and, but they are and the very confused. King and, I. and the king from King and I has arrived. Uh, they're all very confused. Odo emerges wearing some blue marriage robes and is immediately confronted by Lawaxana's husband. He offers Odo a chance to get out and avoid this charade. Then, Loaxana emerges in a similar marriage gown, holding a glowy egg. Odo begins his speech. In keeping with the Tavnian tradition, I stand before you, here in my home, among my worldly possessions, and declare my wish to add this woman to what that which is mine. Not a great start. Jael challenges immediately. Prove it to us. And Odo gives this speech, which I think is actually pretty good. Before I met her, my world was a much smaller place. I kept to myself. I didn't need anyone else, and I took pride in that. The truth is, I was ashamed of what I was, afraid if somebody saw how truly different I was, they would recoil from me. Loaxana saw how different I was, and she didn't recoil. She wanted to see more. For the first time in my life, someone wanted me as I was, and that changed me forever. The day I met her is the day I stopped being alone, and I want her to be part of my life from this day on. Marry me, Loaxana. Let me into your light. It's a good speech, and it's truthful, though it is also true of several other folks on the station for Odo. Um... Because, you know, I, I think Loaxana broke through some of his <clears throat> walls. But, like, a lot of people are do not, you know, all of our heroes, they don't recoil from the fact that he's different. They're like, great, go I, about yourself. But I don't know that it's what they're going for. But what I love about this speech, actually, and we, we hinted at it before, is that, you know, we get so caught up in, and I talk about this often when I, people are getting married we, with the capital M marriage, right? 
that somehow there's this one type of marriage, this one definition of marriage, mm. of love, that you sure. subscribe to, and that, oh, we're getting married, and so brrr, here it is. But that is just famously not true, right? It's very much yeah. your marriage, what you determine, why you want to get married, what your rule set will be, what your relationship is. It's all specific. What the boundaries to you. are, yeah. And here, he's describing, if just from re listening to the monologue, beautiful. You would say, absolutely, the two of you should be wed and we are supportive. But as she'll point out later, that's not. That's not the relationship that he is has fallen in love with, right? It's just a different. It's very. It's very well, real. It's it, it, well, and also like he has defined what he is looking for. Yes, but that's not what she wants. Yeah, or and right, and correct. I think that that is, you know, and and I, I think especially in in these days, like you said, what is a marriage? Well, that is defined by the people in it and period right and that that can mean any number of different things in any different combinations and all sorts of these all, and and it's not nearly as as uh scripted as it as it ever was um which in but this episode, it has to be by mutual consent whatever yes. it is must be you, you have to agree on whatever it is and, and nobody else is involved just the people in the marriage what's fun about this episode is that it they juxtapose that with a very stringent property-based marriage, right? <clears throat> so it makes those ideas even more seem what he's pitching even more foreign. Yeah, well, and, or and the that's gulf a... between like the love he's describing and where it's coming from. Well, and and so much of the talk of marriage in this episode, and and it's partly this culture and partly some of our own culture is talking about ownership, mm -hmm. talking about possession. And and it is, uh, I mean, that's very much a part of our culture, it is, and in in some cultures, and certainly in our history, that we are property of each other. And it, you know, I think it was supposed to ring leaden in 1996, but especially today, it's like, oh. Um, anyway, so he gives a, he gives the speech, and to his credit, Jayal, the the guy, declines to object again. And Lwaxana swoons a bit. And Jayal says to Lwaxana, I cherished you. You were my most treasured possession. Take care of our son when he asks, speak well of me. Which, of course, uh, reminded me, but, uh, 150 years ago, when I was still an actor, I did a reading of an adaptation of a uh, of the show. Hold on, I actually found out what it was. <clears throat> of uh, The Awakening, a, a musical adaptation of the Kate Chopin novel, The Awakening, in which I played the bad guy ex-husband, Leonce. And I sang a song called My Favorite Possession, which is a, like, it's a, sort of this beautiful love song thingy, but it was just talking about her as property. And I was like, oh, I remember those. I remember that, remember that part. Oh. Anyway, it was, uh, that's where, where I met a certain, uh, Agent slash bail bondswoman, one of the who, best, uh, one of the one of the most who, famous inside jokes. We both of worked our lives. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Anyway, uh, Quark offers to throw a party for the happy couple. Could it be because he's actually happy for Odo, or is he covering his jealousy? Mm. Who knows? 
Tough to say, a lot of, lot of machinations happening here. And Lawaxana says, oh, Odo, you were wonderful. You know, for a minute there, I really believed you wanted to marry me. I suppose that we should tell them the truth, but let's wait until after the party. Meanwhile, the creativity vampire is still sucking on Jake's brain. It's been days. And I wrote, she's oddly trying to talk him out of continuing to work, and she forces him to stop, which I think we now understand why. He thinks he can finish the novel in a few days. But she says, with rest, you'll do better. Come back later. Jake leaves and gets on the turbo lift. He starts to get lightheaded and stumbles. Then he finally collapses. I think they do a great job. I know it got nominated for costuming, but actually the makeup on Sierra here is great. They, they really do make him seem drained, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a creativity vampire sucking on his head. So also we, known uh, as I didn't sleep for a few days. I mean, I, that's that's always my excuse. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I look like I haven't slept in a thousand years. So uh, we cut to the infirmary. And Bashir explains to Cisco that his cortex was on the verge of synaptic collapse. But he's going to be okay. Jake talks in his sleep and asks where the creativity vampire went. Later, a nurse checks on... <laughs> in my head, I just kept hearing the Viagra commercial. It's like, if you've had an erection last longer than four hours, mm-hmm. please seek medical attention. I, I mean, writing in cursive for longer than ever should... Uh, cursive kids is something they forced all old people to learn how to write in school for no effing reason. You know when I became an adult was when I decided I wasn't writing in cursive anymore. And I was like, it's my handwriting and I'm taking it back. Oh my god, no. I have no... I, I mean... I, I, I was such a little shit in school that I would have complained about, like, this is irrelevant to our lives. I, and I don't think they force kids to learn anymore. No. I, I, I think it is that is just a vestige of being old people. But, like, that was, like, a whole thing. Yeah, my handwriting is atrocious. Oh, my handwriting but, is bad, straight bad. Now, my wife, you want to talk about love, folks. My wife thinks that it's very flowery and beautiful. She's like, oh, your handwriting. I was like, no, man, that is straight bad. She thinks, You're it's, she, think it's a, she thinks it's a creative choice. <laughs> wow. Yeah, mine mine is so bad that if you ever like got into my archives and all like I notebook after notebook while I'm ideas or writing lyrics or whatever, uh it is safe from anyone being able to decode it because I am so lazy and usually the in World too War much II of a ciphers hurry, themselves couldn't uh like only I can read it because I usually will just do the first letter of the word and a line because it, it, it's too slow to write out the whole word. Anyway. Congratulations to this lady for being on Star Trek. This, well, this is a, a very frequent Star Trek. She's the stunt woman. For, we've seen a custom right. figure of her. She's she's everybody's stunt double. And, Hard to uh, hide her because she's a she's a large human. Well, yeah, but she's, she's, she's going to die for the 19th time on this episode. Is that Patricia Tolman? I don't know. Maybe it's not. Anyway, uh, later, a nurse checks on the still-sleeping Jake when the uh, vampire emerges, invisible, all glowy, and knocks the nurse aside. <laughs> pretty cool. I-, I thought the effect looked pretty good, actually. Yeah, I also love that the line preceding it was Bashiri's like, I won't take him out of my sight, except for that one pee break. So immediately yeah. he's out. Uh, she says, time to keep writing. I think she knows the game is up, so she's got to drain him now. 
So in Act 5, Cisco, Bashir, and O'Brien discover the psionic energy residue, and they go off on a search. And we discover They just that- follow the luminol trail of whatever secretions were taking place. Gross. Come on, man. It's what they're doing. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying you did it in the grossest possible way. Well, I mean, I have one job. We have a brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, do I keep making myself smaller and you keep making me bigger again? I'm not touching you, man. All right. All right. Great. It's like I... So like if you're watching this, so like I come into this setup every every time, uh-huh. and I'm like, okay, Keith, you're ready to go. This is how Mike crops me for this part of the That's show. That's not even none of you hadn't changed at all. I don't even know what you're seeing. I think your eyes are bugging out. No, I have been adjusting it as we've been talking to make myself a little smaller. Anyway, Jake's been attempting that adjustment, but it hasn't been going well. <clears throat> no. So uh, we discover that she's pulled Jake into a Jeffrey's tube and is still sucking out his brain energy as he keeps writing. He gets another nosebleed, and Jay- Cisco and a security officer are in the tubes hunting her down. In her arms, Jake's passes out. She wakes him up and forces him to keep writing. Then Cisco drops from the ceiling with a phaser. And he tries to beam Jake out, but they can't. And Onaya says, it's not what I am that matters. It's what I do. You don't know the minds I've touched. Kalatis, Tarbalide, Keats, a hundred of them. Varney! Varney! Where's my potential? She has unlocked all of their potential, but Varney was useless. (laughs) The goo was, there was nothing. Just spitting out dust. Is that... Little do you know, you cut to her sitting on the board of Nampt or Nymph. Being like, <laughs> ah, this one's pretty good. Yeah, I had him reach his potential, which was nothing. Now tell him, that, who's going to tell him he has to pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my God. Uh, sure did. We've, uh, we've, we've, we've selected you for our festival. Here's the bill. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I was having a um, conversation with the producers that I work with, Craig and Sherry. Uh, the other night and they're like so why did nymph fail and i'm like well let's start with how where the money came yeah, from they charged you oh it's craziness that's what you won anyway different podcast yes, yes i think i still owe people money over that so uh cisco says is that what you did to jake inspire him look at him and she says well they all die in the end but look what i give in return immortality their names will live on forever and she explains that she travels around the universe sucking on the talents of folks to eat so here's here's the question for the desperate artist in both of us if somebody said all right i will give you everything you've ever wanted you will be remembered forever you as a as a as an artist will will live on and you and have succeeded but you're gonna die at 35 or you'll die at 85 but you'll never have been successful Mm. and i think about that as someone who's although what's that i said this just in folks spoiler alert i'm gonna finally reveal keith's idea for a new musical it's called damn yankees and it's about about this ultimatum (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh no i i 
you probably could have tempted me much more when I was younger, a younger man. But as I get older and I, I kind of realize that the life and happiness and, and fulfillment and success takes many forms, I'm less inclined to want to die at 35, <laughs> uh, especially <laughs> since it be over. Uh, but listen, there are still nights where I sleep and I think about some what ifs or what could be's. And uh, they're pretty tantalizing, so it's not a it's not a fool's errand to run that that thought experiment. Well, and and it's interesting because I think about it. I think I I think I would have the opposite trajectory there, because I think I, I, at twenty five I'll be like I don't need no help. It's gonna yeah. happen anyway, right? Like it's inevitable. At thirty five I'll be like I don't uh, what's going on. Forty five I'm like I don't know maybe. Uh, but I kind of like my life and like I still want it but like it's not at 85 on my deathbed I mean like eh. Eh, yeah sure I'll dig it <laughs> you know, I will it's say like, I'll, I'll tell a quick a quick aside uh, there's a lot wrapped in this so prepare so there was a there's a show that in my late 20s into my 30s I was continually up for on Broadway and tours and it was like the big break thing and it was right for it and it was it was about to happen so many times and it didn't, it wasn't happening. And because it was so close, I sacrificed pursuing anything else mm -hmm. and just focused on this one thing, this one show, because though I wouldn't say this out loud, if I can do that, I will have proved all the other failures and other- it Justifies the whole Justifies life. the whole goddamn thing. Yep. Which couldn't have been a bigger mistake, but that's the journey I was on. But life progressed, things happened, I met my wife, and the moment I got proposed, I think I was, no, I, we had been, we were married. I got offered to do the show out on a contract for nine months on a ship. And finally do it, finally say, and I said in the moment, I was like, what? yes! I, was, I got the call when I was in my therapist's office. Mm. And I remember going next door and celebrating and then celebrating with Jen and then talking about how we would make the next nine months work. And I realized I'm not gonna make the next nine months work. Like that's, it is not worth the first nine months of being married where you're establishing stuff to go, to instantly go away. And so, uh, yeah, I said no. And like, that was that you don't close. I, I cannot get cast in that show regionally anywhere now. It's like there's, I'm not saying there's a blacklist, but if there is, I'm freaking on it. Um, but uh, that's as close as I can kind of make an analogy to that, that offer being made, right? Finally. But I mean, you could also say I finally earned the opportunity to do it, but yeah, I said no, because I chose other life. Yeah. Well, and it's tough. And and I certainly understand uh, fixating on one opportunity at the expense of all others, and then looking back on it twenty years later, like what was I doing? Yeah. What was what, I, I could thought, have done so many other things. Thought, this was the only thing. This was yeah. the only light, and it and it cost me, you know, on the on the nip show. I was like, this is the this is the one guy. I, I'm sure it's going to happen, so I'm going to close all the other doors, and uh, you know, it's been it's been uh, it's been fifteen years, and I'm like, hello. Anyway, uh, so she explains that now, she travels. Now, if they give you the ultimatum, you could go and do it all over again and make different oh, choices along the way. I That's much do it more of a again. thought experiment I would do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have. I don't have many regrets. I love how it ended. How 
<coughs> my life has ended up. It's not perfect, obviously, but like I feel pretty good. Um, what I'd like to have changed a couple of those decisions if I go back to being 30 again and like and do redo the last 15 years yeah but I think in those new choices I would lose some stuff that I really cherish yeah. today so yeah. anyway where were we uh, sorry about that so this so uh, Onaya explains that she travels around the universe sucking on the talents of folks to eat she is a talent vampire she starts to disappear and Cisco shoots her but of course, it has no effect. She turns into a ball of energy and zooms off into space. Um, you know, the ball of energy shooting out of the ship, something we saw in Next Gen a lot, but this is a like visually a way better version of that um, <clears throat> than we've seen. So uh, later, Loaxana comes in super happy to Odo's office and announces, I'm out of here. Odo tries to talk her into staying, but she resists. She says, you've gotten used to having me around, haven't you? Oh, you dear sweet man, don't you see? What you want is company, someone to take care of. And Odo says, is that so wrong? No, of course not. The problem is I want much more than that from you. You see, I can't help it. I'm still in love with you. And as much as I wish that you were in love with me, I know you're not. I could stay. I could try to make you fall in love with me, but we both know it won't happen. Then I'd end up resenting you, and our friendship is far too important for me to let that happen. That's why it's better for both of us if I leave now. And folks, she found a way out of the friend zone. And and I think that shows a tremendous amount of wisdom from her and, and uh, openness and vulnerability from her to do that. She uh, kisses Odo and says, goodbye, husband. Goodbye, wife. So she leaves. They're still married. Back in Cisco's quarters, Ben walks in having read Jake's novel. He compliments the novel, but points out Jake's lousy spelling. Jake says, I know it's good. I just wish I had wrote it, written it. I wish I wrote it. And Cisco says, listen to me. You wrote those words, not her. But she got them out of me. And that means they were somewhere inside you. And all you have to do is learn to find them for yourself. Lastly, we see the title of the novel. It's Anselm, the novel that made Jake famous on The Visitor. And we hear a touch of the score from that episode, which I thought was a really nice touch. Did we open this season with that, or was that last season? It was the uh, second episode of this season. Okay. And it feels like a year ago. It, well, yeah. But uh, really cool to have that connect the dots there. So, uh, uh oh. Yeah. Where'd you go, buddy? There oh, you go. there I am. Ooh. Well, my, my computer's been sad lately. Maybe I should do a clean reinstall of Windows. <laughs> they will never see you again. <laughs> but before we do, it's time to move along home. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Mike, let us begin, as we always do, with our best moments. Mm, Mike, no. what was your best moment? What, what happened to wormholes? 
Oh, isn't that how we usually start? It is. It is indeed how we start. But you, I, you were I, fixated uh, on your size again. I, no, I accidentally <laughs> deleted the wormholes from uh, uh -huh. my my uh, my script. So when I say, as we always do, it's not because small, I remember. You're very small. You I'm, I'm fixing. I'm <laughs> trying to fix two things at once. Keep your pants on. Jeez. Um, you know, I could fix you since that's kind of what I'm doing over here. But you know, no, you, you no, know you. no. Okay. Well, you, I'm you. having to override. I'm overriding you. <laughs> Um, we talked about a lot of the wormholes, so let's not belabor. But yeah, it, it, go ahead. I'm gonna make you start because I'm 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 blanking right now. Yeah, well, I, honestly, I don't think there's a lot of wormholes. There's and, almost not and, enough plot for there to be wormholes. Yeah, I mean, you know, why does Lawaxana marry this guy in the first place? Sure, you know, I think it's a fair question. But we also know that she's she's Lawaxana. She does weird stuff. Yeah. And she makes rash and foolish decisions in love. So, like, I buy that. Um, you know, the the talent vampire, like, sure, I'll buy that. And and I think having fixed why she would try to get him to stop, mm -hmm. I think that makes sense, too. So, uh, whether you like or dislike the episode, I think it all tracks. Yeah. And I would say and, that and the I wormhole of, I mean, potentially you could say that, like, leaving it ambiguous at the end, was she... Did she help him? Did he need her? All that stuff is already answered because we That's know hard. the alternate future where he didn't need her, clearly, because right. he wrote the book. So the book gets written in other strands of the string theory. So I think that that's pretty tight, too. Yeah. So, uh, interestingly, I couldn't find any wormholes. Let's talk about best moment. There's so many good, there's so many good scenes here. Uh, you could argue the whole wedding sequence, the monologue there is great. The kind of... Waxana's uh, her sort of all the way full circle moment at the end where she she defriend zones and sort of reestablishes or redefines their relationship is pretty great. But I think for me, it's re even it's the retreading of the elevator moment. I think it, the way that they mm. where they're in his quarters and he comforts her while she's comforting him is very much and they even call back to it. Where she says, "Oh, I feel like a uh, changeling without his bucket," and yeah. Uh, yeah, he gets to talk about his. I just feel like they 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 recaptured the magic of that moment. They referenced that moment, and yet had it be something new and showed their progression, and yet where they started. Uh, and in a in a snapshot, they were able to show where they came from, where they are. It was beautiful. That scene is is my best moment. Yeah, I I, I think I think that's that's I think that's good. I mean. For me, I think it's the resolution of their relationship where, um, you know, she has the wisdom that we all look for someday, <laughs> someday to uh, those of us who have been hard friend zoned many times mm -hmm. in, in their life. And, uh, you know, probably will again pretty soon. Um, but like the, the strength it takes to disentangle yourself from that. Um, and the wisdom that it takes, I think. I think Loaxana shows. Well, she doesn't show growth, and she makes terrible decisions with men. She does show some growth there and some self awareness. Mm. Um, you know that she never showed with Picard. You know she was always sort of like teasing him. He's in love with her, or whatever. With Odo, she she took she took her shot, right? She really connected with the guy, really built a relationship with him, tried to make it romantic, but it wasn't. And I think her realizing that, I think she just 
I thought it was really well done. And I think the way her last monologue there was great. And I think her performance of it was great. So for me, it's it's the, uh, the, the, the thing we should all learn from how to get ourselves out of the friend zone and try not to, f- you know, and, and friend zone doesn't have to be romantic, right? Any relationship that you have with, an, with another person that is unrequited in some fashion, hmm. whether it's romantic, whether it's a type of friendship, whether it's a business relationship, if they don't want to give you what you want, you have to adjust. Mm-hmm. And and I think that shows some some boundaries internally, like in, so it helps you fight off codependence or whatever, just to be able to look objectively at a relationship and accept it on its own terms and not what you want it to be. I like that. So, uh, yeah, are, are we going to throw some stem bolts at the muse? Famously, Keith's most uh, not in any way vocally manipulated mm. bumper. Yeah. You get some stem so talented that people accuse you of being AI generated. I mean, I'll take it. I, I, and I didn't even have somebody sucking my brain. Yeah. Well, you, hmm. just so many, just so many things I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> or anything else. Is that what you're trying to say? So look, I got the t-shirt. Okay. World's best ex-husband. So let's get to like what I think people's problems with this are. And, it, and it's, yeah. it's, it's the fact that both storylines have, I think, some interest, really cool ideas and are written from a, like a, a cool pitch. The pitch meeting, I'm in. I'm, I'm there. Yeah. They just, it's just so MacGuffin-y MacGuffined of MacGuffins, yeah. MacGuffin MacGuffin, that it's, it's hard to chew, right? So, case in point. Like MacGuffin. Yeah, the, the great idea to get her back and have an episode with Major Barrett. Major Barrett. <laughs> with Major Dad. Yeah, Major Dad. Um, yeah, welcome to MajorWorld.com. That's a very regional Queens. Remember that guy? He was always on. Oh, yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll make her pregnant. But then I, I swear to you when I say every five seconds, I forgot she was pregnant. I, the baby. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? And it's, when you think about it, you're like, we should be taking like at this life a little seriously. The only time they kind of do it is Odo at the end. He's like, "Don't you think you're pretty pregnant? Maybe you should just like now stay." Nah, nah, whatever. Nah, nah, nah. So that feels like okay. And then the energy vampire is so freak of the week from any other show. Just like completely, my whole and they tease it out. The whole I kept asking myself and the what is the why? What is what is she what is the pl- plot at play this is a show that is so good at creating multi-layered three-dimensional chess bad guys with different like political motivations manifestations of their needs multiple multi-tiered stakes that i was like so it's just she just wants to suck his brain goo she's just hungry which is fine yeah she's she's a basically a parasite yeah which is fine, but something must be missing if the whole episode you're like, what is she going to do? Like, what's she do, ain't right, shooting for right. here? And you never kind of get that. And so it feels unsatisfying. Maybe it's a little hokey, too. 
<laughs> but yeah. to be honest, I really think, and maybe our viewers will agree or disagree, because I know the sort of um, reputation of this one. Right. I think because of the relationship, the way that we've, as a society, begun to sort of understand, if not tolerate, different types of relationships and the complexity of relationships since the 90s, this episode actually has kind of grown a little more meaning over the over the years. I think mm. there's enough that you can brain suck out of the the relationship portion of this story that it has some stuff to say and it touched me a little bit and I really enjoyed that. And the brain goo stuff maybe I have to work a little too hard to extrapolate the meaning and to make right. it important, but it's not absent in by any stretch. I actually think it's pretty good. Do I think the episode, the, the plot lines have anything to do with one another? No. Uh, and it's hard to get over the sheer convenience of everything happening, as you mentioned, but I do not think it is a swing and a miss. I actually rather enjoyed my time with it. And I kind of love the energy vampire of it all. And she's just gonna like beam out to do another. And also it's just like, also reminded me of how like non-threatening, you can't look badass with a phaser. I just, even Ben tried there at the end and he just looks stupid. <laughs> I've, you have to see good, like fun phaser action. Anyway, I didn't hate it. I wrote down a, a, a straight 70 here, which I is probably high on the scale of where people think this goes, but I, I, I thought it was all right. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I, I feel similar to you. So I, we usually do this at the very end, but I think it's important to, as we talk about the context of this episode, on IMDb, this is a 5.7. It is ranked 171 out of 173 episodes. That is the wow. third worst episode of all of Deep Space I just Nine. I a 70, dude. Yeah, and, and, and I... It's funny because, like, I think about it, again, the context of when I'm 16 and I'm watching this versus today, I think when I'm 16, it's boring. Well, nothing right? happens. Nothing happens, right? Um, there's no pew-pews. There's a little bit of stakes, right? Because, like, Jake's going to get his brain sucked. But, like, you know it's not going to happen. It, it has no bearing on any of the rest of the universe it's not part of the other story and so you know the the lack of storytelling with the energy vampire like it's not even a story really like there's there's no beginning middle and end to that story she just she sucks on his brain it makes him right then she goes away mm -hmm. right there's she doesn't there's no there's there's nothing there other than an interesting idea and like an execution, she she looks cool. She's scary yeah. looking, and her performance is scary and sexy. Yeah. And so, you know, and and the the Odo Lawaxana thing, I think, um, you know, people, I think unfairly have have hated Lawaxana. She's much more annoying on Next Gen than she ever was on Deep Space Nine. But I think she brought in a lot of that baggage. People just like, oh, God, another Oloxana episode. Um, 
you know the the what we're dealing with with Odo are they're very small feelings. You know, they're yeah. they're very intimate stuff, but I think it's important for Odo's journey. I think Odo going through this is important. You know, I think everything he said in his speech is relevant to his character. And I think that Lawaxana does play a, an important role in Odo's journey, unlocking certain pieces of him that open him up to other experiences and other people. And and, and uh, so I, I think, like, actually, in the trilogy story of Lawaxana and Odo, I actually really like it. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's really interesting. So um, I do not hate this episode the way it is hated by the universe. Um, do I think it's great? No, I don't think it's great. But when I think about the legendarily bad episodes of Deep Space Nine, right, there are two criteria that I think really make it bad. One, if it makes no sense, right? If if just like structurally, it's utter nonsense and has no consequences and it's just like, what is happening? I don't know. It just really wasn't thought through and it's just bad writing because they didn't think through the story that they were doing. And you have characters acting out of character and doing damage to this, that, the other thing. Or it's something like super offensive and like they're they're just like really just, wow, I can't believe you put that on television. That's so wrongheaded and, and whatever. And we're going to hit one. Um, and I think, so to me, that's what makes a bad episode. This one, well, it might be slight. It might be a little undercooked in some ways. The characters act like the characters, right? Everything makes sense. Mm-hmm. It is it is a story that has an A to B to C, at least especially the Odo one, right? And it actually continues the story. Now, it continues the story emotionally, right? Character development-y wise. It doesn't continue the pew-pews. But it, it it pushes Odo forward. It pushes Jake forward. Yeah. Right? Out of this experience, he's now really, at least temporarily, tapped into his potential as a writer. And now he is a thing that he can aspire to get back to and, and work on that journey. And so I think that that's actually kind of important for Jake. And so uh, as a result, like, am I like, oh, I can't wait to watch the muse again? No. But like, I think it's it's definitely not worse than some of the other episodes this season, and so uh, so for me, I'm going to give it a 73. Like it's it's not spectacular, but it's not terrible. And I know everyone says the muse is terrible, terrible, terrible. I don't think so, but I'm really interested to hear what you think. If you think the muse is terrible, write a treatise below because I'm really curious about like. Why is this episode so universally hated? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that's important, I think, too, is that we've we've discovered, you and I, over all the other shows we've watched, uh, that these things don't, you can't, in our, at least the way that we are approaching this, you can't really look at them in a vacuum. And by this point in season four, I've come to love these characters. I know where Odo is on his journey. I know where Jake has come from, where he's going. And so just spending time with them, yeah, maybe there's a MacGuffin. Maybe there's a a, a bad guy who doesn't really have a, a, B, a beginning, middle, end. But 
just seeing Odo go through this experience, no matter how small, is important, is impactful. I would watch it again. I would watch the scene work between those two for days. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I take all those points, but we, we, I know for once we have a hot take, Keith. We, uh, yeah. we, we, we kind of like this one. Hot, hot take, folks. The muse is mediocre. It is not terrible. It is just okay. Tell so, us why we're wrong. Tell us why we're wrong. Let's fight, Internet. <laughs> Let's fight for this mediocrity. Yeah. All right. So next week, we are going to be talking about For the Cause. We are getting into the end of season four. So we're going to start picking up some oh, yeah, momentum here. More, six more. Yeah, yeah, we're we're getting into the uh, the back end, and then coming up on season five. Woof! Here we go. Can't wait. Super fun. Thanks for watching our little show here. Uh, you can also check out our other shows. We we do a thing about Star Trek toys. That's fun. You can also check out uh, Out of Practice podcast where we discuss David E. Kelly's award winning series, The Practice. Uh, if you want more of this, we got a lot more. So Thank much. you to all of our patrons. You can find them at patreon.com slash K&M. Our socials are here. We'll see you back next week. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching K&M Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash K&M.